is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. everyone. Hi, I am Lucy. I'm just going to set my stopwatch so we know where we're at. Um, it's a real privilege to be in the room with you today. So I have preached twice and once that was on Zoom, pre-recorded, and then it was live on Church Street, which, um, or whatever we were using at the time, church something. Um, so it's a real privilege to be in the room with you today. I'm feeling very nervous about it, so please be kind. Um, you always are. I've got two wonderful readers who are going to come up for me and read. And so if you want to read along, we're in Mark 5, verses 21 to 43, continuing in our series about Mark um, Mark's gospel. It's been a bit of a whirlwind already, um, and this is no no different. So um, Sandra and Jonathan are very kindly going to come and read. I need the light. Thank you. Okay, this is Mark five twenty one. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed round him. And a woman was there who had been suffering, no, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned round in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all the commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he told the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to to her, Talitha, koam, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old, 
At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. I don't think I need to. <laughs> um, great. So um, I love this passage. It's a passage that I've read many times before. Um, but as I've had a month to kind of dwell in this passage and read it more, there's always more depth in the Bible than you've ever met before, isn't there? And I'm hoping that I can unpack that a little bit for you today um, and share my excitement about Jesus and who he is and what the kingdom of God looks like. And I think it's also really important to know that if you flick into Luke and Matthew, um, these stories are also there. So if God's including the story three times, perhaps there is significance for us today and something that we need to learn. So what I'm going to do, if, you, if you're taking notes, is I'm going to go through um, the woman's story, then I'm going to go through Jairus' story, and then we're going to look at what that tells us about Jesus and his kingdom. Sound like a good plan? Yeah. Great. I'm so glad you're with me this morning. So the woman, she's not even got a name. Such was her status at the time. We don't even know what her name is, but we know that she's been bleeding for 12 years. We don't necessarily know the nature of that bleeding. Was it menstrual bleeding? Was it from somewhere else? But the fact is, she has been suffering for 12 years. 12 years of bleeding makes you pretty anemic. As you may know, I'm a doctor. And, you know, if I've met someone with this sort of problem, they're going to be pretty poorly and feeling, feeling pretty rotten. Not only has she been suffering physically, but she's been suffering at the hand of doctors. Boo. But it's not like, <laughs> it's not my fault, okay? <laughs> um, the physicians at the time didn't have what I've got in my medicine cabinet at the moment. So this medicine was a kind of go and find a white female donkey, search through its poo, find the barley grains, put them in your pocket, and maybe your bleeding will stop. That kind of medicine. Yeah, for real. Um, and other things like drinking the juice from Persian onions, things like that. You know, she has been suffering at the hands of those doctors, trying all these things just to be made whole and to be well. And we didn't have the NHS back then. She was paying for all of these treatments that none of them had worked. And interestingly, at the time, women didn't often have their own money. So she will have either had that money as part of an inheritance from her father when he died, or perhaps she was divorced. We, we don't know. But all we know is it was her money and that she was likely to be alone in the suffering. So suffering physically, suffering at the hands of doctors, suffering because of poverty, but also suffering with a lack of community. Now, if you go back to Leviticus 15, um, there's a huge list of problems and things that would make you unclean, and bleeding was one of them. So if you were bleeding, you'd have, if, once you stopped bleeding, seven days after that, you'd be, made un you'd be made clean after you'd done this, that, and the other. Um, but this woman was bleeding constantly. There was no end to this, so she was constantly unclean. And what that meant was she couldn't touch anyone. She couldn't even sit on someone else's seat because that made the seat unclean, and anyone who sat on that became unclean. She was an outcast and she couldn't go to the synagogue and hear the stories that were told there and learn more about the Old Testament or the stories that they knew back then. This woman has tried everything. She is desperate, but she hears that Jesus is coming. She's heard stories about this Jesus, that Jesus will heal and make her whole and make her well. But I'm unclean. What am I going to do? But perhaps if I just touch the edge of his cloak... Perhaps if I just touch that, he will heal me. And in Malachi um, 4 verse 2, it talks about the son of righteousness will come with healing in his rays. And the word rays also translate as tassels. So um, the Israelites back then had cloaks and on each corner was a tassel to remind them of the promises and, and the law that God had given them. 
And so she just believes that perhaps if I just touch the tassels, that I will be healed by the son of righteousness. She thinks, oh, if I just touch him, then I'll disappear off. No one needs to know I'm here. But of course, we know that Jesus has other thoughts. Who touched me? In Luke, it talks about a crowd that is about to crush him. A crowd that's like a mosh pit, that's like a nightclub. It's no British queue. This is, you know, a, a wild crowd. Who touched me? What are you talking about, Jesus? Are you mad? Look at all these people. Who, who touched you? How do you know? But Jesus knows the significance of this touch. He knows the significance for this woman, but also the significance for the crowd. Who touched me? And the woman who wants to kind of hide away, who wants to shrink back from the crowd, steps forward with trembling and fear. And you can hear the whispers of the crowd. What's she doing here? Did she touch me? Did she touch you? Oh, gosh, we've got to go and make ourselves clean. That's seven days of this, that and the other. What's Jesus going to say to her? I bet he's going to tell her off. You can hear those sort of words. So she's coming forward with fear and trembling, falling at Jesus' feet. Jesus, all I wanted was just want to, I just wanted to be healed. But then Jesus, he offers one word that changes everything for this woman. He calls her daughter. Daughter. A word that means acceptance, that means love, that means grace, that means family. A word that she's probably not heard for a long time. And the crowd are like, what, daughter? <laughs> she's not a daughter, what are you talking about? And not only is she commended, you know, um, as, as called daughter, she's commended for her faith. Daughter, your faith has healed you. This illiterate woman who couldn't even go to the synagogue and hear the stories of the Old Testament of her, her ancestors has been commended for her faith in God. And he says to her, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And that's that word shalom, which is wholeness and, and fullness of life um, and be healed. And this is a public demonstration of grace to a crowd that has shunned her, to a crowd that has said, you are worthless. But the kingdom of God says otherwise. When Jesus comes, he says otherwise. So that's our woman. And we'll come back to some of that in a bit. What about Jairus? Now, you may have noticed that I started with a woman, but actually she's kind of in the middle of this story. And this is called a Markan sandwich. Maybe you, are th you know you've done your theology. I have not. Um, but um, I was doing a lot of reading about this. Mark uses this, this technique many times. So he's got the outer story of Jairus and then the inner, inner part of um, the bleeding woman. I hate that she doesn't have a name. I want to give her a name. Um, but so what, what this means is the inner part of the story helps us understand the outer part of the story. This is intentional, and, and that's what I love about the Bible. There's just such intention about the way it's written and the way it's communicated. So who is Jairus? So he's a name chap, first of all. So that gives our story some validity. So when people were passing this story from one person to the next, oh, I know Jairus, he was such and such a mate. Oh, yeah, I remember him. He did this, that, and the other. So they would have known who Jairus was, and he was a leader of the local synagogue. So this woman couldn't go there, but he was the leader where Jews would study and worship. He would have known the word in depth. He would have known that there, there was a coming Messiah that was going to come and change things. Little did he know that he would meet him face to face. He was well known, he was respected, and had a family and community around him. And we see that he's probably very wealthy as well because he's got people from his household who come and tell him about his daughter. He's also got, um, he's able to pay for these professional mourners, um, which is mentioned later on in the passage, and we'll get to that. 
So Jairus is waiting on the shoreline when Jesus crosses over the lake and maybe he's come directly from, you know, releasing the demon-possessed man that Naomi spoke about last week. And he's waiting there. He's like, come on, Jesus, you better get here soon. He falls at the feet. The synagogue leader, whose friends probably told Jesus to stop what he was doing when he was healing the lame man, he falls at Jesus' feet, desperate. His daughter is dying. His only 12-year-old daughter is dying. And he believes that Jesus can heal her. Heal her. And Jesus agrees to go with him with an appropriate sense of urgency, I would imagine. But then Jesus stops. Jesus, what are you doing? My daughter's dying. What, what, are you stopping this woman? Are you sure, really? But Jesus is the great physician and his priorities are very different to ours. You know, if I was working in a and I've got this dying 12-year-old girl, cubicle A, and the chronically bleeding woman, cubicle F. I'm going straight over here. She's my priority. Because if I can get to her quickly and sort her out, then I can I'll make her well. The chronic problem can wait. It's got time. But Jesus, he sees the bigger picture here. And perhaps Jairus in the waiting was like, come on, like doing that kind of like, maybe on all those social cues. And um, we need to go. We need to go. But while Jesus is still speaking to this woman, still speaking to the person he calls daughter, Someone comes to Jairus and says, your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher anymore? And if you're a parent here, or, or you, you can imagine that kind of stab, of stab in your gut. What? And the grief and the overwhelm of that moment. Jesus was on his way, but he stopped for this woman, and now my daughter is dead. But Jesus overhears this, and he says, do not be afraid, just believe. He knows he's able. He needs Jairus to know that he is able. And it's amazing, isn't it? This, this illiterate woman who's never probably set, set foot inside a synagogue is commended for her faith. But Jairus, who's supposed to know all the texts, he's seen to be religious, is told to be faith-filled. And I think a lot of us sometimes need to be prompted by God to be faith-filled. And, and the next bit, I hadn't really clicked, but... Um, in, in the other passage in, I can't remember what it is, apologies, in that when um, Jesus heals the centurion servant, he just sends the centurion servant back and he just said, he sends the centurion back. She, they're healed, don't worry about it, it's fine. But Jesus doesn't do that here. This 12-year-old girl has died and he walks with Jairus back to the house. He doesn't just let him go and say, she'll be fine, don't worry about it. He walks with Jairus on probably the most difficult time that Jairus has ever been through. The darkest moments, the deepest of valleys. Jesus walks with him. And I mentioned about the professional mourners. So um, it, wasn't, it wasn't the done thing to kind of express your emotion. I'm very much a heart on your sleeve kind of girl. But that wasn't what was done here. They paid for people to wail and mourn um, so that they didn't have to. And they could, that could just be done in private. So when Jesus gets to the house, he goes, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. And they scorn him and they say, what are you talking about? Of course she's dead. Have you not seen a dead body? But actually, for Jesus, sleep holds exactly the same power as death to him. It's not a problem for Jesus. We saw last week in Naomi's preach that actually he's able to command the wind and the waves. And we know, we know that on the cross he defeated death. They didn't know that at the time. But it's not beyond the realms, you know, of, of Jesus' power. So he goes up to the girl's room and touches her on the hand. Again, that would make him unclean, touching a dead body. And he says to her, Talitha kum. 
which means little girl or, or a term of more endearment, darling, wake up. And she does. As simple as that. Jesus is able to heal and resurrect her from the dead. The joy, the wonder and the awe in that moment when this dead girl is now alive. Didn't matter about the delay, really. Jairus comes for a fever cure and gets a resurrection. The bleeding woman comes to be healed, but she gets called daughter and welcomed home. God is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. We, we can't limit him. And just we're going to um, just dive into time kind of looking at, at Jesus and some of the lessons I think that I've learned from this and, and maybe it'll resonate with you too. So there are, very, there are loads of parallels with this story. You know, really it's a tale of two daughters. This daughter who is 12 years old and dying and this daughter of the king, 12 years of bleeding. Both girls, females, young and old, and back then, you know, women didn't, didn't have the same status as men. And this shows that Jesus values women. He sees them when a society wouldn't see them. He sees them. Jesus, in both of these, makes himself unclean. But that isn't a problem for him because he is ushering in a new kingdom where by faith we are made clean and right. But then in contrast, we've got this man, Jairus, woman, bleeding woman, wealthy, poor, family, childless, respected, shunned, surrounded, lonely, secure, and then vulnerable. But what do they both have in common? In desperation, when they've reached the end of themselves, they fall at the feet of Jesus. Despite the shame, despite what they should be seen to be doing or should be believing, they fall at the feet of Jesus all in. And the wonderful thing about my Jesus is that he welcomes everyone. It's an open invitation. No matter where you've been, no matter where you've come from, no matter what you've believed in the past, Jesus wants to welcome you in. This is a countercultural kingdom where they would you know, previously have had to earn, earn their right to things, work their way out of sin. This is a different kingdom. Because all of us in this room, whether you've been a Christian for 30 years or not even a Christian yet, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's standards. None of us are right with God in our own strength. But God wants relationship with you. And that's what the cross was, cross was for. You know, as we're looking at this life of Jesus through, through Mark's gospel, we see a man who lived righteously, who showed us what it was like to live a life that was in all of its fullness. And when he died on the cross, he took our sin and our shame, paid the ultimate price for that so that we could be in relationship with God, that we could have life in all its fullness. And if that's you today and you need life in all its fullness and this is the first time you want to respond to Jesus, then we're going to have time for that later. It's the best decision you will ever make. Because with Jesus, you get more than you bargained for. He will exceed your expectations. And... Um, and, and the other thing I thought, sort of saw in this passage was a lot of kind of delays and a, a bit of waiting. This woman had waited 12 years to be healed. That's a long time. And this, you know, in Jairus' kind of journey to go and get his daughter healed, actually he has to wait for Jesus' timing. I don't know about you, but I can become very me-centric. I'm quite a practical person. I like to be organized. God, it would be great if you could just fit this into my schedule because, you know, I've got it sorted. I know what I want and I need it 
here now. But God doesn't hurry. He doesn't hurry because he loves us. He withholds things from us because he loves us. We wouldn't know the extravagance of his grace and love if he stuck to our timing. But I'm very conscious that I don't want to be flippant about that. I have walked a journey through chronic illness myself. And it was a long time before I was healed. And it was really tough. And I don't want to just say to people who are walking through that right now, your delay serve a purpose, it's fine. There's glory in this, you'll be fine. Because that's not kind. And that's not what God talks about. But I can't deny what I see in this passage. That after 12 years of waiting, this woman is healed publicly in front of a crowd who would normally deem her unclean. They see it ushering in of God's kingdom. She gets more than she asked for and the crowd get to witness the power of God in a fresh and new way. Jairus coming for his fever cure, he gets to see a resurrection, the, you know, the power of living God, God incarnate, Jesus, in front of him. He gets to see that. So there is purpose in the delays. But the thing I, I really want us to notice is that Jesus is there in those delays. That he walks with Jairus in the darkest valley, in the darkest walk of his life, as he's walking to say goodbye to his daughter, who he believes he might never see again. Jesus is with him. Even though I walk through, notice the word through, the darkest valley, thy rod and thy staff will comfort me. You know, God is there to comfort us in the darkest of journeys. And it's amazing, like Adam's prayer and Ray's prayer, it's, it's just like God wants to speak to us about this. You know, there are going to be delays, there's going to be waiting. And only with hindsight, delays will bring us priceless lessons. When you're in the midst of it, you're not going to think, right, well, this is a really great lesson about patience, and I'm feeling really great about this because I know I'll look great at the end. Like, you're not thinking that. It's hard. It's really, really hard. When you're trying to live out a day-to-day -day with fatigue, with pain, life is hard. But as Jesus walks with someone, walks with someone in the darkest valley, so we should. We should be walking with our brothers and sisters in the darkest of times, loving them, encouraging them, bringing words when they can't find the words. We need to be imitators of Christ for our brothers and sisters. I feel like I've been quite bold today. And the reason that I believe that is because I believe this story about Jesus demands a response from us. I've been bold into saying, right, okay, well, we're going to have time for ministry. I believe there are lives that could be changed here. I believe there is healing that could happen. But I need you to run with me on that. God is here for encounter today. He wants to move within us. He wants to see our lives changed before we even get through those doors and pick up our kids or go out and do whatever we've got that's planned for the rest of the day. God doesn't want you to leave here unchanged. So um, Caroline and her wonderful band have really generously um, said they're going to play for us um, and give us a time to worship, to respond to what we've seen. This is God, God incarnate, God on earth showing us what life could be like in all of its fullness. That demands a response. And if that's you today, you just worship. Just celebrate and worship God.
but there may be others in the room or others online who are who are listening and going I'm feeling a bit like Jairus at the moment I'm in that period of waiting I'm grieving what's not what's not come to pass yet and I want to give time to pray with you I want to give time to encourage you to remind you of the goodness of God in every season but we also want to believe that you could be healed that God could do that now it may not be now but he could so don't miss a moment to be prayed for let's leave here changed so Caroline and do you want to come up I'm just going to pray um, and if you've got words of knowledge for people to be healed let's let's do that it may get a bit messy up here I'm okay with that if you're okay with that fine um but I, I just I just don't want to miss a chance to encounter God and spend some time just dwelling in his presence um so if you want to come to the front for a prayer if you want to grab someone else to pray with you um if any of the band want prayer someone could jump in right <laughs> anyone handy with the guitar <laughs> but yeah let me pray and then we'll get to worshiping God and then seeing where we get to God I want to thank you that there is intention with every story in the Bible there are, there are lessons to be learned when you've been a Christian um, for many years or a new, a new believer. God, I thank you that you are intimately involved in our lives, that you want to see our lives change, that you want to bring life in all of its fullness. God, we just want to spend some time worshipping you and encountering you afresh. Holy Spirit, fall. Amen. You unravel me with a melody You surround me with a song Of deliverance from my enemies Till all my fears have gone I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God
So if you want to respond this morning, I'd love to invite you down here. There's lots of us who would love to pray and see your life transformed. So if you want to respond and say, yes, I want to be that child of God. I want to be free and live a life of fullness. Let us pray with you. We'd love to welcome you into the family. If you want to respond because you or someone you love is struggling with a chronic illness, let's pray for you too. Because we want to walk with you on this journey. And if you want prayer for anything else, we're here. We'd love to pray. Sunday.